Good morning, everybody. My name is Ben. I'm one of the, the leaders here. And I'm glad to be a part of this family and glad to be here this morning and glad to hear all of the peace giving and receiving happening. Uh, we're in the book of Acts still, and we're in a series called The Spirit in the Church. And we have been working through the book of Acts, not verse by verse or chapter by chapter, but just walking through the book and seeing where does the Spirit explicitly show up? What's the Spirit up to? And how does that change the church? What happens when the Spirit moves and how does that affect the way the, 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 the church moves? And so we're in Acts chapter 6 this morning. You can turn there. We'll get to Acts chapter 6 in just a minute. And as you're, as you're turning... First, I want to talk about the most expensive plane ever built, which I'll connect to Acts 6, I promise. The, the B-2 bomber, it's coincidentally nicknamed the Spirit. That's not the point of this illustration. But the B-2 bomber is the most expensive aircraft ever built. $23 billion in research and development and $1.4 billion each to build it and about $30 million a year to operate it. A massive team built the B-2 and faced one engineering problem after another. They had to build their own laboratories, their own testing systems, their own procedures. And for every one of those obstacles, they had to work through, through them until this engineering marvel was built. And for that $1.4 billion price tag, you get a plane that is virtually undetectable by radar. No surface-to-air missiles have ever been fired on a B-2 bomber. It can travel 6,000 nautical miles without refueling, travel at speeds of 628 miles an hour at 50,000 feet in the air. It appeared to be the virtually perfect aircraft. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> On February 23, 2008, a B-2 was taking off in heavy rain on a training exercise and immediately did a 30-degree climb, stalled, and couldn't recover and crashed to the ground. Thankfully, the pilots ejected, but this is still known as the most expensive, money-wise, aircraft disaster in history. And they discovered that this very expensive, very amazing engineered plane had one fatal flaw. The data sensors, if they got wet, just a little bit of moisture sent the wrong data to the flight computer and caused this kind of disaster. Now they later discovered there was a really simple fix for the problem, but this, this little thing, moisture on data sensors, brought this amazingly engineered plane to the ground. Now no analogy is perfect, but when I read the story, I thought of where the church is in Acts chapter six. The spirit of God, not with money, but with grace and power, has been engineering this beautiful thing called the church. And one obstacle after another uh, that the church has met, the Spirit has also met them in it. And we've seen that as we've worked through this book, right? We've seen the potential discouragement of Jesus saying, I'm ascending into heaven. And the disciples feeling loneliness, but pressing into the promise and waiting for the Spirit and receiving it. That, that potential obstacle to the church as they realize this is not a Jerusalem thing, but this is an all-around-the-world thing, and facing the internal prejudices that they might have had, but embracing God's plan for the church to be more than just in Jerusalem and receiving the Spirit. They face the obstacle of, are we going to be a church without spiritual power? 
and asking God to send it and the spirit coming with power. And then they face the challenge of, are we gonna be a church devoted just to spiritual fire or also to spiritual formation? And they pressed into building this community of formation that was able to contain that, that power. And then we saw the threat of the, the external threats to sharing the gospel. For the first time, they're called criminals. And they come, come face to face with threats to sharing the good news publicly. And they meet that as the Spirit gives them boldness. And then last week, we saw the threat of hypocrisy in Ananias and Sapphira and how the Spirit of God met them in that. But now in Acts chapter 6, after all these obstacles have been overcome, they face what seems on the surface to be a really simple problem, but was a massive threat to the church. It had the potential to actually destroy the church from within. So I want us to read in Acts chapter 6 and see what this story is. And then we're going to work our way towards the solution to this problem in the church, which was the Spirit of God raising up leaders. So Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, this is the Lord's word. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is a story Yes, about widows, as we'll see, about a need in the church. But it is also a story, a framework for how the Spirit and the church work together when there's growing pains. How the Spirit and the church cooperate together to raise up leaders. And so I, wanna, I want us to work through this story together and see a few things along the way that will, I hope, encourage us. And then we're going to land on how does, how does the Spirit raise up leaders in the church? And what does that have to do with us here at Selma Tacoma? So four things I want to frame this story in. Number one, the threat, the threat to the church. Number two, the opportunity that that threat revealed. Number three, the solution that was put in place. And then number four, the results that the Spirit produced. Now, to understand the threat, we need to understand a little bit more of this conflict that was happening it was between two groups of people, the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. And it's important to know what's the difference between the two. The Hellenistic Jews were people that had left Jerusalem and come back or had stayed in Jerusalem and adopted Greek language and culture. They were kind of like the progressives of the day. 
And they were often looked down on by the Hebraic Jews, Jews that still maintain the traditions, many of the traditions, the language, Aramaic, in Jerusalem. They were, they were kind of the traditionalists, the conservatives. And they often would look down on the progressives. And the conflict comes because there, there appeared to be this system in place to take care of widows. We've read over and over again in the book of Acts how this church was committed to caring for the needs of the most vulnerable. And it, it appears there's this system in place to distribute food to the widows. And for one reason or another, the, the Hellenistic Jews are being overlooked. Now, the text doesn't tell us, was this intentional? Was this because of prejudice? Or was it simply an oversight? Was it a mistake? Was it a capacity issue? But there's this complaint that rises up. And again, we're not told, was this, was this a bad complaint or a legitimate complaint? The word complaint is actually used in the book of John in a positive way, just to speak quietly about something. And so we don't know exactly what was happening, except that we know there's a problem and there, there's a complaint. And we know the point of this is that we know that whatever the nature of it is, it could get a lot worse if not dealt with, with care and wisdom and love. And so there's, there's a bunch of threats that are present here, but let me give you the two big ones. Number one, there's a threat to the church's unity, a threat to the church's unity. Remember, we've seen all along, even the gift of tongues initially given was God saying, hey, this church that I'm making is a church from all nations. And so there was this embrace of God's people that this, the church is supposed to be made up of a very diverse and yet unified group of people. And so there is this threat to the church at this moment. This could very easily become a moment where the church is split, where, where there's the first Hebraic church of Jerusalem and down the road is the first Hellenistic church of Jerusalem. They faced an opportunity, a threat of unity. And it's, it's always a threat. This is why this is important for us. It's always a threat to the unity of the church when we look at someone who might be different than us, who has different problems than we do, and we say, that's your problem, not my problem. When we say either out loud or in our hearts, you just need to do better. Or we say, why, why can't your family handle things like my family does? Or I, I don't understand why this is such an issue. But they didn't do that, thankfully. They didn't do that. They called the whole church together and they said, your problem is our problem. And there's always a change there's always a switch when it comes to problems, whether it's in your marriage, your friendships, the church. The, the tide begins to change when we come out of our corners, we stop fighting each other face to face, and we stand shoulder to shoulder, and we, we start listening to the Spirit, and we say, okay, this is, this is an us thing. This is an us problem. What do we need to do together as the family of God? And so this issue was a threat to the church's unity, but it was also a threat to the church's mission. And by mission, I mean the holistic mission of the church. The apostles say in verse two, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God. And in verse three, they say, we, we will give attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
And we've seen all along that the activity of the Spirit is really tightly connected to prayer. And so to, to summarize what the apostles are saying, they're saying the church's mission can't go forward without the Word and the Spirit. We've seen that all along. And so we need to pay attention to that. We need to devote our time and our energy to that. But then at the same time, they recognized that part of the mission of the church is also caring for the needy, is also caring for people among them. And they said, well, we can't let that go either. And so we need a solution that embraces both as part of the holistic mission of God. And, and the apostles could have said, hey, let's just do, let's do justice ministry. Let's just care for the need. Let's not preach as much. Let's not pray as much. There's too many needs. Let's just care. And there's some churches that are like that. Or they could have said, hey, let's just preach the Bible and not worry about anything else. Like everything else will take care of itself if we just preach the Bible. And there's some churches like that too. But they said, no, we're, we're going to be a church that takes both Seriously, it takes both the preaching of the word, asking the spirit for power, and caring for our people seriously. They're all part of the mission of God. Without the spirit and the word, the mission dies. Without caring for each other as God's people and living out our identity as God's family, the mission dies. That's a huge threat to the church. But the apostles were honest about the threat, but they also saw it as an opportunity. You know, every threat to any church, to our church included, if we look at it the right way, it can be an opportunity. Like we can, we can put on the lens of faith and say what appears to be a threat could be an opportunity for God to do something. And we can ask the same question in two different ways. We can say, God, what, what are you doing? We can ask it that way. We're going to say, God, what are you doing? Like, you're up to something here. This is, a, this is a problem. This is a need. But you must be up to something. Can we pay attention to what it is? And so there's, there's lots of opportunities here. Let me just give you four briefly that will lead us to the main theme. Number one, it was an opportunity to really listen. The apostles could have said, hey, the real problem is you guys are complaining. You need to stop. They didn't do that. They listened. They could have fallen into prejudice and say, ah, this is a Hellenist thing. They didn't do that either. They stopped and they carefully listened. They heard, what, what is the problem? They showed grace. Even though there were people complaining, they still, they looked past that. They said, what's, what's the real issue here? Like, where, there's, where is there a real need for help in this situation? And leaders, all of us, when we're working with people, when we're facing the needs and the problems of others, it's so important to listen. Just to stop long enough to hear what is really happening. You'll, you'll forgive this uh, bit of a crass analogy I, I use sometimes with my guys in, the, in my DNA group. I'll say, when, when a guy's hanging off the edge of a cliff and he's about to fall, it's not the right time to tell him his fly's down right? That's probably not the most pressing need at the moment. You can maybe circle back to that later. He's, he's hanging on the edge of a cliff and he's about to fall. And so when, when we're facing leading other people, even just our friends discipling them, walking alongside them, things about them that annoy us or we think, oh, I really need to point that out. Take some time to listen and hear what, what are the real problems 
going on here? And I, I'm, I'm more convinced that, uh, than ever, we've talked about this a ton as leadership here, that curiosity, humble curiosity, is one of the most important characteristics of a leader. Just the willingness to be curious, to say, what's, what's really happening here? To ask enough questions, to sit with someone long enough to know what's really going on, where are the needs? And so there's an opportunity to listen, but then there's an opportunity to reevaluate expectations. Here's what I mean. If, if you read Acts, we, we do this all the time. We say, hey, we want to be an Acts 2 church. Like, we want to be an Acts 4 church. And missiologists and ecclesiologists, people that study the mission in the church, they salivate over the book of Acts. Like, oh, we want a church like that. And it would be really easy for us or even for the disciples back then to think, hey, we got a pre- pretty good thing going here. And with all the good stuff going, what, what could possibly go wrong? But they realize with, with what is the birth of the church, with what might be the most perfect form of the church, if there is such a thing, there's still problems. There's still struggles. And no matter what we get right here, no matter how healthy our leadership team is here, no matter how many people come to Jesus, no matter how many gifts are expressed in this body, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems because we live in a broken world and we're broken people. And we as leaders, as elders, as MC leaders, we're not going to try to, but we're probably going to fail you. We probably have in some ways. And we we do pray, Lord, help us not to miss stuff, but sometimes we do. And we hope that's never because of character, and if it is, that that there would be repentance. If it's a character thing, there would be repentance and even a stepping down if necessary. But sometimes it's just lack of capacity. Sometimes it's simply that we're human beings and we fail and we miss stuff. And so we have to show each other a lot of grace. And that brings us to the third opportunity, which is the opportunity to recognize limits and calling. The apostles said, hey, we we believe the the ministry of the word and prayer is really important. We believe that caring for the widows is really important. And they could have said, you know what? We're just going to have to buckle up and do it. (laughs) We're just going to have to buckle up and do both of them. We're just going to have to burn the candle at both ends because these are needs and we just need to, we need to take care of it. But they didn't do that. They said, we, we have limits, and we're okay with these limits. They, they say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word to wait on tables. The, the word right means desirable or meeting the approval of others. And I think, I think what they're saying is, if we try to wait on tables, it's probably not going to go well. I don't know that we're really good at that. I'm not sure that we're really gifted at that. I think we need some people who are gifted at this to do this because otherwise we're going to end up doing two jobs poorly. And so they came face to face with their their limits and they recognized this is our calling, that, that we're called to the ministry of the word and prayer. And we're probably, there's probably some people that are a lot better at this than we are that we need to ask the spirit to raise up. Now, we, it's, it's easy to make a one-to-one connection between the apostles and elders of today, and we need to be careful of that because their ministry, the apostles' ministry, was unique 
there, there wasn't the completed canon of scripture. And so they had a special, they had a special office, a unique office of the ministry of the word and prayer. But the principle in many ways is the same. We, we try to encourage all of our leaders, our elders, our MC leaders, our deacons here to acknowledge their limits, to recognize their calling, to pay attention to stepping out of their limits. And it's, we, we appoint MC leaders and deacons here, not because we just want to have a token show of diversity. That's not why we do it. We don't say, hey, it'd be good to show that everyone's involved in ministry, so let's have some other people do some things. No, we, we appoint deacons and MC leaders who are doing deacon work because we actually recognize we're not as gifted at it as other people. Like, there are other people in this church that we need who have gifts that we as elders do not have. And that's the beauty of what is happening here. We can, you know, when someone comes to us with a ministry idea or a need, very often we have to say, wait, or we have to say, no, or we have to say, hey, let's pray that God will raise up a leader. And it's not because we don't care about those things. It's because we actually believe that there are other people that may be more gifted to do those things than we are. And so we want to ask the Spirit to raise those people up, which brings us to the last thought under this, this opportunity, which is the kind of the central theme of this passage. It was an opportunity to release new leaders. Problems and needs in the church almost always require people. Not, not new systems and strategies and, and electronic devices, but almost always when there are needs in the church, it's revealing, hey, there's a need for more people to minister, to serve. And this New Testament church was at a crossroads, a crossroads that every church faces over and over again. They were asking the question, what kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church where a few professionals do all the work and other people show up? Or are we going to be the kind of church where we raise up and equip leaders and there's a diversity of people that are all laboring together where we're all in ministry together? And, and visualizing this might be helpful. There's a professional ministry model. This is a drawing that Abe did and then Dawson took and tweaked and then I took and tweaked a little bit for this, this sermon. But there's this professional ministry model where all the ministry needs are kind of in this funnel, this queue that come down and rest on the professionally paid pastor or pastors. And, and the urgent things tend to be the ones that, that are at the bottom of the funnel, the things that are demanding, that demand the attention of the professional paid pastor. And so a lot of times the things at the top never get addressed. And so this is often the cause of hurt and discouragement in, in a church because one or two people, professional paid pastors are trying to do everything and all the ministry needs are funneled down. But then there's the everyone in ministry model where the funnel is flipped upside down, where everyone is ministering to the problems, to the needs in the body and the elders instead, and that's why there's such a need for plurality, the elders instead are equipping people for ministry. They're leading and then deacons, which is kind of what this passage is about. These are probably the beta deacons or the prototype deacons in the Bible. But as you continue to read the Bible, the deacons, they work alongside the elders. The elders equip and lead the deacons. 
And then deacons lead and equip the body in specific, very focused ways. And we could talk a lot more about these models, but I, I'm really thankful, if, if you haven't noticed, we're committed to the one on the right. And I'm really thankful that we have a lot of people in this body that minister. Like we do, we have so many. And I, I just want to say, let's keep doing it. Let's keep growing in this. Where everyone is ministering, and where we have elders who are leading and equipping, and deacons who are focused on specific tasks. Now let me just briefly talk about the difference between an elder and a deacon. An elder is responsible for the equipping, the shepherding, the leading of the entire church family. Like we have the joyful burden of asking how do we lead this family as a whole? Again, that's why we need multiple elders to do that. It's not the job of one or two people. But deacons, deacons are kind of specialists. They're like special forces. And they're freed from the burden of leading the whole church to focus in on a specific area of ministry. So in Acts chapter 6, it was the widows, the distribution of money to the widows. But as you continue to read the New Testament, you come to find that deacons, they have a very broad range of responsibilities where they could just focus in on one thing, apply their gifts to one thing, be freed from the burden of leading the whole church, and then the elders are also freed to do what God has called them to do at the same time. So when there are needs in our church, when there are ministry opportunities that come up, when there are needs in the city, and, and you have this burden to, to see that need met, that is an opportunity for all of us to pray, Lord, who are you raising up? Who are you raising up that may serve in this way? And that leads us to the solution, the, the solution. And the story, they get all the disciples together, the whole church together, and they say, hey, you look among you you look out and you see who are the people that you would want to lead this task. Who are the people you trust? Who are the people filled with the Spirit? And raising up leaders is always the cooperative work of the Spirit and the church. Leaders are never self-appointed. And they're not just Spirit-appointed. They are appointed by the Spirit and the church, the Spirit and the community together. And so they, they were called to look for leaders and the leaders needed to have four things. Very briefly, they needed to have, number one, the character of the Spirit. In verse three, the apostles say, choose seven from among you who are full of the Spirit. Now, we've talked a lot about what, it, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I mean, it can mean a lot of things. It can, be, 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 it can mean to be filled with the gifts of the Spirit, to, be, to have the gifts that he gives us, the spiritual gifts, even the charismatic gifts. It can be that. It can be filled with boldness. We saw that earlier in Acts. It can mean a lot of things. But at, I think at its root, being filled with the Spirit means you are dependent on the Spirit. You, you're a person who says, I know that I need the Spirit for everything. A person who's filled with the Spirit it has the, the aura, if you will, of the Spirit. This sense of everything I have any fruit I have, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, that comes from the Spirit of God in me. And I, I honestly can say 
A person who's filled with the Spirit can say, I, I don't have anything of myself to offer, but I have a lot to offer that the Spirit has given me. That's the image in 2 Corinthians 3, the jar of clay that has a treasure in it. We say, hey, we're a jar of clay. So in ourselves, we don't have much to offer, but with the Spirit of God and the treasure of the gospel, we've got a lot to offer. It's this combination of humility and also honesty and confidence in the Spirit. And so they said, the apostles said, look for people who are filled with the Spirit, who have the character of the Spirit, but then who had the competence of the Spirit. In verse 5, the apostles say, look for people who are full of wisdom. Verse 3, rather. In verse 5, it, we're told specifically of Stephen that he's a man full of faith. Now, I don't expect you to remember our Proverbs series, but in Proverbs, we saw that wisdom is the skill of God-centered living in a broken world. That's what wisdom is generally. The skill of navigating a broken world in a God-centered way. But wisdom specifically in this passage is the wisdom or the skill of navigating this particular situation or need in a God-centered way. In other words, what the apostles were saying is look for people who have the skill for this specific need. Who are the people that could walk through this in a way that honors God and builds the church and restores unity? Who are those kinds of people? And it's really beautiful that uh, many scholars believe when you look at this list of names, they, these names are indicative of the fact that these men were Hellenist men. They were, they were Greek-speaking in other words, they were from the very group that the widows were from. And Justo Gonzalez, a Cuban commentator, says significantly, all the ones elected have Hellenistic names. In our churches today, we often try to deal with similar problems of injustice by placing in a position of, of relative authority one or two token members of whatever group has been marginalized in the hope that this will satisfy those who complain. In other words, there is an attempt to solve the problem by means of a symbolic presence. What the church in Acts does is very different because the members of the group that suffer injustice are those who best know how injustice functions. It is they who receive the authority to manage the resources of the church. That's just really beautiful. And, and what that means for us practically is that, again, as you read through the, the New Testament, you discover that deacons are any servants that are filled with the Spirit who can serve in a specific way that serves the family, that serves the body, and, and relieves the elders. That, that's, it can be so broad. So it can be, there can be deacons of counseling and care. There can be deacons of justice ministry in this city. There can be deacons who teach, deacons of prophetic ministry, deacons of prayer ministry, deacons of missional communities, which is what, in reality, our MC leaders are. And so what that means is as opportunities and needs arise in the church, we want to be asking, Lord, who, who are the people, not that just are generally gifted, but who are the people that may be the most specifically gifted and wise for this task, for this ministry, for this need, for this problem? And along with that character and competence, there'll be the calling of the Spirit. 
in Acts 6, the seven that were chosen, they, they had a choice, right? Their names were put forward. We're not told exactly what happened, but as you continue to read the book of Acts, we find that those who are called know they're called by the Spirit. They have this sense that God is calling me. And so these men had a choice. They had to decide with the help of the Spirit, am I, am I called to this? And when you, when you read through the book of Acts, you find that when there was a need for ministers, there was always worship and prayer and fasting. And as they did those things and they listened, they would hear the Spirit say, them. <laughs> and so when there's a, there, there's a need in our church, when there's a problem, when there's an opportunity that requires leadership, that should be our first posture, is Spirit of God, will you call the right people? And will you help us to know the right people you called? Which is the, the fourth thing, that when the Spirit of God works in someone's heart to call them to serve in a specific way, there's always going to be confirmation from the community. Because the Spirit of God is in all of us as the family of God. And so if God raises up a leader, there's going to be this recognition from those in the family that, oh, oh yeah, like that, that makes sense. Like I, I've seen that person lead. I've seen their, their character. I've seen their heart. This, this makes sense. This seems to be what the Spirit is calling us to do. They're going to be the affirmation of gifts and God's grace in others. And when, when leaders are raised up in this way, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing. And we see the results. That's the last thing. We'll come back to what does this mean practically for us in just a minute. But what, what are the results? When the Spirit raises up leaders this way, what happens? Well, first, the mission advances. Verse 7 says, the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests, Jewish leaders who you would not think would come to faith, became obedient to the faith. And once again, we see this up, in, out pattern that we've talked about a lot. There's crisis, and then the church goes up. They say, God, what do we do? Lord, please help us. Show us what to do. The Spirit gives creativity. The Spirit gives wisdom. The Spirit gives grace. And then there's this in movement of like, okay, let's, let's minister to our community. Let's make sure we're a healthy community. Let's pay attention to each other. And then as a result of that help, there's an, then a going back out again and sharing the good news of Jesus. And, and this is a pattern of growth that happens in us individually. This is just as much an individual thing as a church thing. This is how we ourselves grow. We come to a point of need, a point of crisis, a point of opportunity, and we say, God, what do we do? What do I do? Lord, please help me. And then we move towards our community. We move towards our family and say, help, help me, work this out. And then we're able to go back out again. And it's up and out, over and over and over again. So the mission advances. But then hidden gifts are revealed. I just, this hit me this week as I was studying this passage. These deacons are appointed, or proto-deacons, whatever they were, and they're appointed to care for widows. But when you, when you start reading in Acts 6 through 8, do you know what you find? You find, first of all, Stephen, one of the deacons, and he's preaching, and he's martyred. He preaches the longest sermon recorded in the book of Acts. And then Philip, in Acts chapter 8, he's the one who goes and sits with the Ethiopian eunuch and shares the good news of Jesus with him and baptizes him. 
which traced historically started the Ethiopian Christian church. And, and so as, as these men are released to care for widows, like these hidden gifts are revealed. Like gifts that they didn't even know were present are revealed. And that, that's what, we've seen this happen in our church. People are free to serve. They start getting courage. They start growing in their faith. Like, oh, I, I, I am gifted. Like I am called to this. I am gift, gifted for this. And then more gifts started coming out and they start serving in other ways that they didn't even know that they had the gifts and equipping for. That's just beautiful. That's how the Lord works. As we're faithful in the, in the little things, as we, as we uh, have mustard seed-like faith, and we say, oh, we think this is the next step for us. We, we think this is what we're called, some leaders are called to do. This is how we're called to serve together. As we, as we obey, as we uh, live by that mustard seed-like faith, God almost always does something so much better, so much more beautiful, just as we respond to what the Spirit is calling us to do. So how do we respond? How do we respond to the story? Well, let me give you three, three ways we can respond. And we'll take a few minutes just to, to do this in a contemplative way. Number one, I want to encourage you to celebrate the leaders that we have. And I don't just mean elders. I don't just mean the people that you see up on stage every week. But think, think of the leaders who are leaders, maybe not even in name, who you have experienced in this family. And uh, I, I want to invite you just to take a minute and to bow your head and to, and to think and pray for just a moment. And ask the Spirit of God, bring a name or a, a, a name or two of people to your mind who have served in this family and who have encouraged you. Could be people who serve in our kids ministry, sound, worship team, our tech ministry. It could be MC leaders, people who are active in missional communities and participating and leading even if they don't have a title. And just just ask the question, who, who, who am I thankful for? How can I celebrate the leaders that we have. And spend a minute just thanking the Spirit for their gifts, for their character, for their wisdom, for their faithfulness. How, most importantly, how does this person show me Jesus? How does this person show me Jesus? Take a minute, write a name or two down and and just pray. I want to encourage you, maybe this week, um, go to that person, maybe today, sometime this week, go to that person and say, I'm really, I'm really thankful for you. Like, you show me Jesus in, in this way. And, and the second thing I want to encourage and challenge us to do is to identify potential leaders. And it's not on the slide, but also, or, or needs for leaders. Maybe it's, maybe it's both those things together. Um, if, you've, if you've experienced someone in this family who is serving, who is shepherding, who you've observed has the character of Jesus, who you, you look at them and say, I, I, think I, I think I'd follow that person. And that person isn't a leader yet in this church, and you think they should be on our radar, 
as, as elders, we invite you to come and, and tell us that. Say, hey, do you have this person on your radar? And I, I didn't mention this in the sermon. I, I, I accidentally skipped it. But when it comes to deacons, we do believe here, the Bible's pretty clear that both men and women can be deacons. Like 1 Timothy 3 is pretty clear about that and, and the rest of the New Testament. And so we believe that both men and women can be deacons and can have specific functions of that kind of leadership in this family. And so if you know a man or a woman who is exhibiting gifts, who has spirit-filled character, and you think, hey, they need to be on the radar for leadership. Will you come and tell us about that? This is, this is not just Jesus' church. It's your church. It's your church. And so we want to invite you to be on the lookout for who, who are potential leaders. And along with that, if you see a need in this church family, if you see, a, if you see an opportunity for ministry, if you have a burden on your heart and you're, you're longing to see that met, I want to invite you to begin praying that God will send a leader to match that. Maybe it's you, maybe it's not you. But I want to invite you to begin praying. Is there, is there a leader that God will connect? Someone, a, a deacon-like person whom God will connect with this need and raise up? And how can I be a part of that? How can I be a part of serving? So again, I want to invite you just to bow your head for a moment and pray over those two things. Is there, is there someone you already have this sense about, or is there a, a ministry or a need that you see that you're longing for a leader to connect with? Take a minute to pray, pray over that together. Now, number three, this is a setup. Number three, respond to the Spirit's call in your own life. Every one of us is called to minister in this family, every one of us. Not everyone is called to be a leader. If you're really super eager to be a leader, it's probably not time. But maybe some of you have, have a, a tug from the Spirit of God on your heart. Just, just this question the Spirit of God might be whispering, are, are you willing? Are you willing? And so I wanna, I wanna encourage you and challenge you. If, if your desire is, hey, I wanna bring unity this, to this body, I want to see the, the holistic mission of the church advance. I, I see some needs that maybe I could be a part of serving and helping with. And I have a burden for this kind of ministry in this city. If that's you and, and you feel like, I, I think I can say I'm, I'm dependent on the Spirit. That's the trajectory of my life. I think I can say I have some wisdom that could be applied to this. If that's you, I, I want to invite you first just to pray and ask the Spirit of God to confirm that in your own heart. And then I want to invite you to do something scary. I want to invite you to go to people in your community, to your missional community, to your DNA group, and ask them a couple questions. Ask them, what's it like to be on the other side of me? That's kind of a scary question. And tell them, please be honest with me. Like, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And then ask them, do you, do you think I have the character and the gifts to lead this way? Do, do you see that in me? And receive what they say honestly. And if there seems to be affirmation from the people around you, affirmation from the Spirit, I invite you to come and, and talk to, to one of the elders here. Say, I feel like God's doing this. I feel like the community is affirming this. What do you guys think? And then let, let us pray and ask the Spirit of God what he might be up to. 
So I want to invite you once again to, to pray over that. Like to ask the Spirit if he's already tugging on your heart to keep doing that and keep showing you and affirming. And if he's not, to say, Lord, do I need to be willing in this? Ask the question. At least moving towards the, continually moving towards the character of someone who could be a leader, filled with the spirit and wisdom. So we take a minute and just pray over that for your own heart. As you do that, I'm gonna pray over all of us and then we'll move into a time of communion. Spirit of God, I, I do ask that you would, would give us the lens of faith to see threats as opportunities, to see problems that arise as, as an opportunity for the Spirit of God to work, um, to see opportunities for ministry and needs that arise as as a reason to expect that you may be raising up someone to meet them. So Spirit of God, I, I do pray for our church family. I'm so thankful for the, the leaders that we have, for those who are deacons, for those who do deacon work in our church family, who are faithful, who are filled with the Spirit, who have wisdom, and we just ask for more. You've, you've taught us that the pattern constantly in your word is to celebrate and ask for more. So we celebrate and we ask for more. And we believe that you will do way more than we imagine or think through the power of the Spirit of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.